Hello and welcome to the Cinema Show, where we bring you movie news, reviews, and insights right here on our podcast. I'm Dylan Martin. Here with me is Jackson. Hey, guys. And our lovely Lori. Hello, hello. I'm joining y'all today from the lovely South Padre Island. Ooh. And I'm here in my studio known as my closet. As am I. All the clothes I could desire. And on this episode, we will be getting into the Oscar nominations as well as another King Kong review for you. This time, Peter Jackson's King Kong from 2005? Mm Mm-hmm. 2005. All right. But before we get into all that, we are going to talk about, I think it might be brief, who knows, Mm. (laughs) for those who (laughs) listened to our episode two, we kind of... It felt like a hit piece. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about it now. <laughs> In hindsight. <laughs> um, we're talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League, the, the now infamous Snyder Cut. It's officially been released here, but for those who it's don't know. It's finally out. Here's the synopsis. It's fueled by his restored faith in humanity and inspired by Superman's selfish act. Bruce Wayne enlists newfound ally Diana Prince to face an even greater threat. Together, Batman and Wonder Woman work quickly to recruit a team to stand against this newly awakened enemy. Despite the formation of an unprecedented league of heroes, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash, it may be too late to save the planet from an assault of catastrophic proportions. Now, I don't want to get into all the the behind-the-scenes stuff. I, I really just want to just focus on what we got the finished product but for those who don't know back in 2016 the original cut if you will of this movie was released and a lot of controversy came about it 2017 2017 correct uh zach snyder had to step down from this movie due to a tragic uh incident that happened within the family and joss whedon director of the first two avenger movies came in to finish the movie But now, after an uproar in the social medias and due to HBO Max needing content for subscribers, thus we get the Snyder Cut. We finally got it. And here it is. Four hours of movie. And Mm -hmm. I have to say... Was it worth the wait? I think it's worth the wait for those who have been actually waiting for this movie to come about. Over the course of a few weeks, I have grown an appreciation for Zack Snyder in his passion for this project and also the passion that fans had for this project. That being said, it doesn't change my views on what we got back in 2017, but I will Mm -hmm. say this is a better version of that movie. My whole thing is, is like, yes, it is better. But when you have three years of hindsight on your side and you can go back to that movie and look at it, which apparently Zach says that he didn't watch. He's never seen the 2017 cut, which I I don't believe that. But when you have three years of hindsight on your side, it's no wonder that you're going to that anyone would make a better movie than what we got in 2017. It's not hard not to take credit away from what he did here, because through and through, this is his vision. It's not bad, but it's still not my favorite thing. Do you think it's better than what we got, like, originally? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is miles better than the original. Yeah. 
yeah, I I feel like a lot of characters. I mean, again, it's four hours long, so you kind of you can get away with character development and giving every person in the cast time to shine. And I, it's really funny too because I feel like this is going to change a lot of things in terms of how movies are made, in a sense, especially with this genre. Uh, right now, we're in a transitional period throughout the world and through entertainment. I mean, we we see it with like. WandaVision and what Disney Plus is doing right now, I feel like these series and movies, they're kind of like meshing together so well. I just got done watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And unlike WandaVision, that seems like it's going to be a bingeable series. Think of it as a long movie. Whereas WandaVision, it's episodic. You can just watch a separate episode whenever you want. And here you get four hours of a movie. So (laughs) this is how I watched Zack Snyder's Justice League. I had to take a break. It, it's it's four hours and it's a lot. And if you like Zack Snyder and what he does, uh, you're gonna like this movie. It's a lot more of that. He loves his slow mo and he loves his operatic. God, yeah, he does music. There was one note that I had uh, written early on that was uh, the caption for it kept popping up throughout the movie. It was ancient lamentation music. Whenever Wonder Woman showed up and did anything, yeah. you would hear the, those uh, those vocals. I thought it was just going to be in that first sequence. I was like, that was a bit much. No, no, but no. Then it's it just every kept time. Out. Yeah, every <laughs> single time she does literally anything that plays, I'm like, oh my God. And then the amount of slow motion that's you. You could probably get rid of like half of the slow motion and it would be like an hour shorter. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like slow motion, uh, it, it's a tool that you use it too much. It kind of loses its magic. I mm-hmm. I thought when it was, it, it was used great when it came with the Flash. Obviously, he's running fast, so you have to do slow-mo. Uh, but yeah, everything else didn't really need uh, that effect. Uh, but th- that's a staple to Zack Snyder. He, he loves using those two things, operatic music. It, it sounded like 300, you know, every time something slow motion would come come about you hit the music it makes it more grand and epic than it is but does it actually well that's the effect he's trying to go for that's what he's trying to go for but when he keeps doing that over and over it kind of loses that don't you think oh yeah yeah no i i definitely think so i I think the amount of slow slow motion and uh that type of music yeah it overstays its welcome but i i think a lot of characters here are improved vastly from Zack Snyder and I think one of them uh two of them are the new members here Cyborg and the Flash I think their backstories are well more fleshed out and like Cyborg in the original one he, he seems like he's just brooding for no reason he's a he's a monster he's a cyborg and he's mad at life but here in this movie this four-hour movie you get a lot more as to why he is the way he is yeah, with Cyborg, he was definitely, like, the most improved character from the original. I w- actually watched the first one two days before I saw this one, mm. uh, just so I could get a frame of reference. And yeah. I don't really see how uh, people got that the Flash was a better character, because he was largely the same from the first movie. But I've seen that a lot on- online, and just from you, too. But yeah, Cyborg is, like, a completely different character. He's so much better in this one. And it's weird to me why Whedon would have cut so much of that out of the first one. Yeah, a lot of questions are starting to raise now as to why Joss Whedon decided to leave out a few things. Because what we got here, certain scenes, the way they play out 
were and it's very little things and it's not where maybe Joss Whedon purposefully went back to end a few scenes the the wrong way uh one thing for me was Superman comes back he fights the league for a little bit which is probably probably the best scene of the entire movie and still is and it ends with Batman saying something snarky like oh I think I broke a bone or something like that and in this one oh it's uh Superman picks him up and he's like do you bleed referencing Batman v Superman and then he drops him like yep I'm bleeding something's definitely bleeding yeah Something like that. And that's obviously a Joss Whedon uh, trademark little snark thing at the end to cap off the scene. But in this one, it's very subtle. It's where Flash is about to strike at Superman and he, Superman catches him and throws him to Aquaman, who's right behind him. And they both land somewhere. And it's it's funny. Jason Momoa just looks at the Flash and kind of points at him like, it's your fault. And it's funny. So yeah, little things like that kind of make me question like, why did Joss Whedon need to end certain things the way he did? I don't know why. It's uh, To me, it's kind of a... Uh, you obviously know what Zack Snyder's trying to do, and you would respect him, especially in the scenario he was stuck in. So why did he make it a point to kind of put his all his fingerprints on that? You know what I mean? Yeah, th- there's so many subtle differences between the two. What I'm wondering now is, okay... Who changed what? Like, did Joss keep it as is and Snyder changed it? Or did uh, or did Whedon change it and then Zach kept it? And then it's just you, we're never going to be able to know who changed what and like what's original to what version. Because like, there were so many little things that I picked up on that probably a lot, most of the people watching this wouldn't have noticed uh, because I don't think anyone else would have tortured themselves by watching the first one before this one but yeah there, there's just so many differences it's it's mind-boggling i want to get your perspective on this lori I, I know you haven't watched it but I, just the concept I, i'm sure you heard of the phrase uh some, goes something like uh, an artist is never finished with his art it's only abandoned something along those lines but yeah how, how do you feel about a a director uh given the opportunity to come back to his own art and try to fix it, correct it, or make it better. I mean, we know where directors are not really fully satisfied with their films, but people love it for what it is. I just want to know uh, what your thoughts are on about this. It's so funny because I've been listening to this whole thing and I, I kind of go back because right away some of the things that y'all are saying about uh, the little nuances that are different makes me want to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. I know it's a bear, the four hours. Um, It really reminds me of the old days whenever we used to have those long musicals or those long movies and they used to have to have those intermissions where they would just play the music out while people went and took a break. But uh, it makes me think of something that I thought was a travesty to going back to the early Batman movies whenever Tim Burton left. And I loved I just recently showed my son the Batman and the Batman Returns, and he had no idea. He was like, wow, mom. He goes, they were like this at one point. Like, he always associated, and this is the sad thing, a lot of kids do associate the Batman movie with Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy, that big Arnold Schwarzenegger one, you know, or the one that, you know, Two-Face and Jim Carrey were in. They don't remember. They think about Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. They forget about the Batman and the Batman Returns of Tim Burton 
And I just thought that was the perfect marriage of the Batman world. And I would love to see Tim Burton be able to do, you know, come back and do Batman forever his way. I mean, that would just be epic to me. So, yeah, I do love the idea that he came back and did it. Uh, But you also have to be careful because even artists, you know, as artists and as we create, you know, our projects become our babies. They become a part of ourselves to critique it is to hurt us in essence, you know. And but the thing about it is, if we are not as people, we our egos over our projects do tend to kind of take over at times. And ego is the enemy. It's that old uh, saying, I forget who who said it. I don't know if it was Marcus Aurelius or uh, I know it was a Roman quote, but it says ego is the enemy. Like, never forget that. And it kind of turns into the emperor's new clothes situation where nobody wants to tell the emperor you're naked or, hey, cut out the slow-mo, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it works for better or for worse. I think characters improve in this movie, but at the same time, it's a lot of movie and there's not an intermission. Uh, it just goes by chapters. I know there's a few scenes that you can tell Zack Snyder wanted them to be long uh, just for the sake of being long and uh, to give you that grand scope of things. And I think it kind of it's a very tough movie to talk about criticizing it because for me, it's essentially the same movie that we got. It ends the same way. Uh, it goes along the same way. All the plot points kind of go about except at the epilogue there's an epilogue here that consists of oh like three or four scenes they didn't know how to end this movie i think it should have just ended I, I don't think we needed the epilogue at all no if anything we we could have used the the recording slight spoiler uh the recording that cyborg plays at the end i think that should have just been where it cut off essentially it's kind of cyborg's movie he, I feel like Ray it Fisher really here, he shines. Uh, it, it's a shame that he got fired and that whole fiasco that happened because he honestly, he outshines everybody in this movie. Yeah, it, it. I think like Cyborg is the only character who really has an arc in this movie. Everyone else is just kind of there and doesn't really have an arc. Everyone else just pretty much sticks to their guns, I, I think. Yeah, no, no, I, I fully agree. Yeah, there's a lot of range that is shown here with Ray Fisher. I hope he keeps getting work because Lord knows he won't as Cyborg, which is unfortunate. After seeing this movie, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, and at the end, yeah, that epilogue, I'm not sure what Zack Snyder was trying to do. I feel like he was trying to kind of relight the fire that the Snyder Cut was. There were so many parts in this movie where it was like set up for sequels. Like there were so many sequels in other movies that were set up because of this one movie. Yeah, this movie felt like Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame all at the same time. Especially mm-hmm. during that epilogue. It was so weird. Like, there, there's out of nowhere, there's this dystopian, apocalyptic future where you have random, like, certain members are dead uh, from the Justice League. Like, Wonder Woman's dead. The dream dead. sequence from BVS comes back, and it's like, okay, we get, like, we got that. Why are you showing us this? Because... All of that was essentially spoilers for what's going to happen. If you think about it, like, why would you tell us all of this? Yeah, it felt like it was a cutscene from, like, five, like three Justice League movies down the road. That's what it felt yeah. like. Yeah, because you have, like, Amber Heard. 
very bold of them to for them to keep that in the movie after every after these past four years. Bo- very bold of him to keep her in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers, really quick. So like you have Amber Heard, Superman's evil, uh, Batman is uh, leading. Aquaman's this, like, dead. Aquaman's dead. Wonder Woman's dead, and mm-hmm. Joker is a part of this team too. And and he sounds like Jim Carrey. Did he sound like Jim Carrey to you? He felt he sounded like a lot of things, and he looked like a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to do there. And and the the there's a part like there's like 10 seconds of out of focus shot of his head. Like he's talking to the camera, but it's all out of focus. It's intentional. I don't know why. What was the intention <laughs> it's behind definitely it? Definitely a choice, which is, which could be said for a lot of things in this movie. That was definitely a choice that he made. I say I would recommend this movie to those that have been wanting this cut for a very long time. And also those who kind of enjoyed the first one, the original cut, but wanted something better, I say here it is. Would I watch it again? No. No. See, no, no. That, the thing is, like, it's better than the 2017 one. Yeah. For sure. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I'm going to have a really hard time recommending this to someone because it's four hours. I think Endgame being three was asking a lot of people, and this one being four with how seriously it takes itself and, like, with, with everything going on within it, I don't know. Flip a coin. <laughs> that's that's my that's my recommendation. Flip Normally a coin. Normally, I, w- I would agree with you, but given now this climate, we're, like, in the binge culture where we binge an entire season, that's more. It's way more than four hours worth of You content. could watch it in parts. Like, you could just watch each little part day by day, I guess, or, like, little by little if you wanted to. Yeah, so, yeah, recommending it to those that are okay with binging something especially with superhero movies go for it i'm not gonna stop you my biggest takeaway was that Zack snyder got to actually come back and we i had i kind of am eating my own hat here because i have been doubting this movie i didn't think it would ever happen yeah you you've done like a complete 180 i was really surprised on how much i liked it i'm not gonna lie i i enjoyed quite a few things in this movie like, every member actually serves a purpose in that third act. The sewer sequence and the third act are, like, completely different. Yeah. Joss changed so much. Like, you could tell, like, this was originally how it was supposed to be just because of how the shots are flowing, how the, how the scene is flowing on and everything. Like, this is how it was shot. Why did Joss change it so much? Because he just made it so messy. And, like, the sewer sequence was completely different. And uh, actually, there was a little Easter egg in the spo- uh, in the sewer. Blink and you'll miss it. There was like a little sign that was like sewer this way. And there was like arrows pointing down. But if you look at it, it's the JL from the little logo here. Ah. Like the little uptick thing. I was like, oh, yeah. that's neat. Uh, and then like that complete, that third act, not only is it not like bright red anymore. Oh, yeah. It like actually looks pretty decent. It's still dark, but like it looks better than it being bright red. And there was an escalation to everything going on instead of just characters wandering around and killing parademons left and right for no reason other than we have to stop the bad guy. This movie actually gives a whole, like, there's a journey up the mountain or wherever they're trying to reach into. Like, the action is really well done in this one. Yeah, I mean, boot out of my mouth, insert hat, because I enjoyed it. I liked it. I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It insists upon itself, <laughs> uh, for sure. But it's not bad. Yeah, I did like it. I will say that. 
There it is. Now we're going to have to delete well, our episode two. I want to yeah. see it now. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely I watch think it. you definitely should. Yeah, you should. Uh, I think you'll. You know what also improves it so much more, too? The movies that technically came after this movie Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there was a uh, there was a line, a couple of lines in the 2017 one that, looking back on it, made Wonder Woman '84 completely useless because she's still talking about Steve and like missing him and like not being able to get over him. That's in the 2017 cut, but in this one, they can they changed those lines and they fixed them to where she's over uh, Steve's loss. And, yeah, like, where there there's continuity now. They they fixed a lot of problems from the 2017 one. It's funny how it comes out now, now that we have these solo movies lined up before it. That's the way it should have been in the first place. Honestly, we should have had these solo movies coming out leading into this movie. But hey. yeah, it's really weird to watch this one and be like, oh, wait, Aquaman didn't happen yet. Yeah, that that's really weird to experience. But I mean, once you get over that, it's like, oh, OK, I, I see how this works now. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a review of. The Snyder Cut, it didn't go the way I thought it would. And watching it, I didn't think I'd like it as much. So people can change. People <laughs> can change. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about the Oscars. We finally got the nominations. And let's start off with actress in a supporting role. We have Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film. We have Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman for The Father. Amanda Seyfried for Mank. And Yu Jung Yoon in Minari. And how happy I was to see Mrs. Yoon in Minari. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm so happy for her. Um, I'm kind of surprised about Olivia Coleman being in the supporting role instead of the lead uh, category. But I think the lead, uh, the actress in a leading role category is already stacked as, as it is. And Charity won that award, so she would have a better chance at getting this one. That's very true. But those two are my front runners. I watched The Father a day or two ago, and without giving anything away, here's my overall thoughts on it. I love this movie, but not in a a cheerful way. Uh, just from the from the very beginning, all the way to the end, it, it's a roller coaster of emotions. And Olivia Coleman is, it's so beautiful what she does with this role and her acting alongside Anthony Hopkins. Uh, it's heartbreaking at times. Uh, if I talk about it anymore, I'm going to cry. Just uh, just prepare yourself when you watch it. That's all I have I to say. I can't wait to watch it. I've already watched, the, like, I've heard the synopsis and I've kind of been, like, reading about it and I'm strongly preparing myself. It's probably one of the reasons I haven't broke it down and watched it yet is because I know it's going to be a hard watch. It really was. I got the chance to watch it in the theater. All to myself, baby. I loved it. Oh, finally. my God. Yes. It was beautiful. Oh, wow. I, that would have made that. That's the perfect experience for that movie, too. Yes. Especially with the subject matter. It was a little chilling at times, too, because I was alone. But I could cry as much as I can and nobody could judge me for it. Um, had to wipe off the tears walking out. But yes, it was great. I love the father. I'm not really sure who I want to pick here yet, just yet, because I haven't seen Mank or Hillbilly Elegy, but <sighs> Olivia Glenn Coleman. Glenn Close is nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar for the same role this oh, year. Oh, yeah. What's the whole controversy <laughs> on Hillbilly 
Elegy? What's going on there? uh, Some people hate it. A lot of people hate this movie, and I still haven't seen it yet. I'm going to get to it before the Oscars. Am I the only one here who's seen this? Yeah. uh, yeah, Oh, my God. (laughs) It's been like three episodes. I don't want to spoil anything, but I love it. I love it, love it, love it. And I feel for Glenn Close right now because I think she's right up there. This is going to be one of those roles that people are going to be impersonating and quoting someday. This is going to be one of those like Al Pacino is sitting there. You know, everybody razzed him because of Sin of a Woman. He was nominated for the award, but everybody's like, hoo Oh, they they thought he overdid it. (laughs) The same thing with Faye Dunaway. No, I'm serious. The same thing with Faye Dunaway. Whenever she played in Mommy Dearest, they thought that she did this exaggerated thing. They said it was either, right, to this day, it's the best or the worst performance you've ever seen. You understand? So they they come these roles, you know, that come along, that kind of define some of these actors. And I love Glenn Close. I love her in this role. I think she made a strong acting decision. And I just resonated so much with this because I feel like in the future, if I ever get to a point in a movie where I'm ever nominated for something, the same thing will probably happen to me because <laughs> I, I don't know when to go off. I go pa- I see the line. I run past it. I jump off. And, you know, I feel like she did the same thing and I love her for it because she put herself out there to be judged this much and you have to see it. Y'all are going to love her. She still never won an Oscar. Glenn Close has never won an Oscar still. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's shocking to me. Yeah, I have to say that through all of it, Glenn Close this year, and I know I voted for her for the Golden Globes. I didn't get that point, but she's still my choice. It's like every other year she's nominated for an Oscar, and and yet she still hasn't won. It's baffling. But I I honestly don't know who to go with for this category. Um, I would love it if Miss Yown from Minari won, uh, but I I don't really have a frontrunner in this category other than her. Yeah, great movie, great performance from her. Her and the little boy are just standouts there. So, yeah, I, I might flip a coin when we get closer to the Oscars, between her and Olivia Coleman, I think it would be great if Maria Bakalova won. That'd but it be would fun. be really like uh, upsetting to all the other. That's the only comedic role in in that category, and everything else is so dramatic. I personally don't know if like she was deserving of that nomination of that spot, um, just compared really? to the other performances. Yeah, I I thought she was fine. I thought uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. I thought he gave a better performance than she did. Really, I thought she worked, I think, like, she even was better than him in at some moments in the movie. She was right with him. She never faltered. And it's so crazy because, like, anyone else acting alongside Sasha Baron Cohen would have a hard time keeping up, like, uh, the guy in the first one. Uh, but she was right on it every single time. She was fantastic. And this is her first big gig. So, like, props to her. All the props to her. I thought she was fantastic. You know what? I have to I have to agree with Jackson on this one. Uh, I, I do think, uh, go back, rewatch that movie. This girl held her own, and this was a hard movie to hold your own in. It was a sequel to a comedy that everybody already knew who Sasha Baron Cohen and his character Borat was at this point. It was much harder to do this film. And yeah, I think she totally hold her, held her own. 
and it was a delicate balance. She didn't overshine anything, but it it, it it had to take a delicate balance. And I thought she was great in it. Mind you, I get what you're saying, though, Dylan. With the comedic role, it kind of feels like she had to do, you know, compared to everybody else in this category. But I'll tell you what, anybody who's an actor knows comedy's harder. Comedy can be brutal. And, yeah. you know, you can go out there and nail a dramatic monologue every night, but going out there and keeping that levity and that timing can almost be impossible. It's a gift. And so, yeah, I'm going to give this one to her. I have to agree with Jackson on it. Yeah, I think I'm just too harsh on the Borat movie as a whole. <laughs> Maybe that's my problem. I think I think Mayor Giuliani just said that same thing in an interview last week. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it'll get you it'll get you a nomination. Uh, but hey, what about Amanda Seyfried? She was the favorite for a long time, and then everyone else just kind of rose up, and she's just kind of left back here. So. I honestly have no idea how this category is going to go. It could go to any five of them, and I wouldn't really be upset. Yeah, she was great, and Mank was great, and she was great in it. That's another one. Don't sleep on her either. There's some beautiful performances. I haven't seen The Father. I haven't seen Minari, uh, but I've seen everything else. And, yeah, these women are are, are stacked. And I think The Dark Horse is going to be Maria because she's the only comedy. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for you to watch Minari and the Father oh and gosh. see how that affects your choices. Because, oh yeah, it's coming. Get ready. <laughs> I know. Let's move on to uh, costume design. Uh, we have Emma Pinocchio. Uh, we have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mulan, and Mank. This one's a little tough for me. I'm between two right now. It's Emma and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Maybe Mank too, because just the period it's in. If anything, I would be between Emma and Mulan because um, uh, I think the costumes in that look pretty good. I haven't seen the movie, but just from what I've seen, the costumes look pretty good. Um, and Emma, that's a period piece. Period pieces are always a strong uh, a force to be reckoned with in this category. And uh, I, I didn't even know this Pinocchio movie came out. I don't know what this looks like. I've never heard of it before. So when it was announced, whenever I was I saw that that morning, I was very surprised. I'm like, where did this come from? But uh, those are those are my choices, either Emma or Mulan. I'm gonna go with Mulan on this. It was hard for me uh, between that one and Mank because I really enjoyed the costumes in Mank. But with Mulan to me, just it was something a little bit more whimsical. I always love the things where it feels like I haven't seen that before. And it was the one movie where I kind of saw the costumes and I saw a little bit of. Not recreate, not just recreation, but I saw innovation and I saw them kind of give us something a little new um, and it was very elegant. Um, so I'm from Mulan on this one. And a well said. With Ma Rainey and Mank, I think those two are kind of in the same boat with being like period pieces from that same time. And I, I don't know. I think that mm, I'm not saying that like it's easier to design costumes for that time period uh, because I mean, Ma Rainey's dress incredible uh that's an that's an incredible costume i think with mank is probably like the least likely to win out of all of these because i mean again it's not easy costuming is very hard but i mean it's mostly suits and dresses from that time period oh wow so you both are going for leaning on mulan here heavily yeah i i think mulan has a stronger yeah i'm going with mulan i'm solidifying it all right. Well, we'll see. I think the only thing for me, I'm going to lean towards Emma over Ma Rainey's just because there wasn't enough. Like you think about it, there's not a lot of a, of a, 
a cast in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, most of it's inside the studio. Uh, you don't see a lot of people, but I mean, Mulan, there's soldiers and so mm-hmm. many people. And from what I've seen in Mank, uh, it's heavily populated too. Along with Emma, it, they have much bigger casts compared to Ma Rainey. So maybe that might play a factor as well. Plus, it would be a win for the Oscars politically if Mulan won. Oh, politics. Okay, I like oh, it. Th- politics is a huge part of everything here. <laughs> so I think we, we always have to consider that. Yeah. All right, let's move on to original score. We have The Five Bloods, Soul, Mank, Minari, and News of the World. I'm surprised yet very uh, happy for Minari because that was another standout for me throughout the movie. I really enjoyed the score and I didn't really expect it to be nominated, but I'm happy to see it here. Yeah, same here. I The exact same way. And uh, inversely, I feel surprised that The Five Bloods is here. And it's unfortunate that this is its only nomination because I didn't really like the score in The Five Bloods that much. Yeah, uh, what did... Spike Lee due to anybody. Uh, <laughs> I don't like, know. He won Best Director for Black Klansman, and then his next movie, it's like no one's talking about it. Yeah, I got no love here at the Oscars this year or the Golden Globes. Mm-mm. But it's yeah. very unfortunate. Uh, and we'll get to Delroy Lindo. But yeah, going back to score, I mean, are we all in agreement that Soul's going to take it? Do we even yeah. have to argue about that? No, no, it yeah. definitely will. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So shout out to Nine Inch Nails again. Yes. Double nomination again. But you know, Trent Reznor has been coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's been out there for a while now with scores and uh, good on him. Good on him. Yes. I wonder if he still has the front door of the Manson murders from the Hollywood Hills. I wonder if he still has it in his recording studio. Oh, I'm sure he does. No. Yeah. Would you I'm ever let go of a piece of history like that? And these pi- I know, never, never. But I, like all these whimsical things that he's writing now, as opposed to closer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to adapted screenplay. We have Borat's subsequent movie film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. So why is okay? Why is Borat? nominated here it was nominated the first one was nominated for adapted screenplay because it's adapted from ollie g the tv show that's what the first one was credited as and i think this is like still an adaptation of the ollie g show is how they're campaigning it yeah Uh, so the first one is nominated in this category so i i expected it to be nominated here and to no surprise for me at least it's here i think nomadland's got this category though everything well what about the father? Do you think it has a fair shot? I really think so because I didn't know this and I didn't realize it or came across it until I was watching the actual movie. But Florian Zeller is the original playwright of this movie. So she wrote the father as a play and then adapted it herself or herself, right? Florian? Florian Zeller? Uh, adapted it to the film. Like August Wilson for Fences, right? Yeah. It's nothing new to see uh, these playwrights take a jump to the screen. And I felt like this was seamless the way it was translated to film and as well as a screenplay. I had no idea it was a play. Yeah, I had no idea either until it uh, came out saying based off the play The Father by Florian Zeller. Wow. Yeah. So 
I'm rooting for her just for that. But again, I just watched The Father, so it's still fresh in my mind, and I'm still like falling in love with it more and more that I think about it. Oh, and you haven't seen Nomadland yet. And I'm watching Nomadland oh, tonight. Gosh. Oh, so everything might change after tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna go for Nomadland here. But although oh, One Night in Miami, have y'all seen One Night in Miami? Yes. No. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't count that out either. I thought that was fantastic. I thought the way they adapted the script for film was amazing. Yeah, Kim Powers. Yeah, that's right. He's been, uh, I just recently posted on our chat uh, an interview he did with uh, some guy from uh, a YouTube channel I follow. They're based out in uh, Houston, I believe. But yeah, he has quite the story. And it's only because of One Night in Miami, the play, not the movie, the play, is how he got his co-director spot in Seoul. That's the only reason why they brought him on, because P. Doctor read and then watched the show One Night in Miami and said, I need this guy. And then he brought him on. And then at the same time, the movie adaptation got approved. So he was literally back and forth between Seoul and One Night in Miami during its creation. And it's uh, what a great year he has had. Mm-hmm. So shout out to wow. Kemp Powers. Yeah, I'm really I'm rooting for him. But The Father of Nomadland, it's tough. Again, another category that's uh, it's neck and neck and neck. Mm hmm. And then The White Tiger, again, another nomination out of nowhere. I had never heard of this before until here. And that's the beauty of the Oscars. They'll all, there's always surprises. Yeah. Now let's move on to original screenplay. We have Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Now that Judas is in the race, ah, I'm, I really want that one to win over Trial. Ah, this is such a good category. It could go to any five of these, and I would not be upset. I I love all of these movies here. Yeah, this one's probably the toughest. Great list. Sound of Metal? Oh my gosh. This is a tough... It's a tough year. This was a sleeper of a year. It seemed... It was very quiet at first, and then once we get to award season, oh yeah, this movie, this movie, this movie. 2020 was a great year for movies. (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to screenplay too you have to take into account not only dialogue but everything else in that script and i i would love to read the screenplay for sound of metal yeah just to see like its direction and uh how different it reads compared to what you see uh in the movie um i don't know I, i think sound of metal for me it might take my pick but judas and the black messiah that's a really good one right there. I can't really based off anything from Promising Young Woman and Trial just because, I mean, I'm sure Aaron Sorkin is great without a doubt. Uh, I just want to, I'm curious to see how it reads when I watch the movie. Oh, it's still phenomenal because even I was going into the movie with that mindset. I'm like, oh yeah, it's Aaron Sorkin. Screenplay is going to be good. I already know that. But even then, I was blown away by what he gave us. It was yeah. Try don't rule any of these out. Don't rule trial out, especially even though it's probably like the most baity out of any of these. Don't rule it out because it's it's really good. All right, well let's move on to animated short film. We have Boro Genus Loki, Lockai, Loki, San Diegans. Um, we <laughs> that's a Anchorman reference. Opera, <laughs> Yes People, and. If anything happens, I love you. So based off titles here, I think I've seen Burrow. That's the 2D animated on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, it's a little bunny wabbit. 
Yeah, it's, it's cute. But based off titles, I like that uh, If Anything Happens, I Love You. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's cute, right? Uh, it's a That's the one that stands out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing to say here, really. Is Yes People the sequel to Yes Man starring Jim Carrey? I hate you because I was going to use that joke. <laughs> Go Burrow. I don't know. I, I, I don't really. I, I'll watch these. Yeah, I don't have a dog in this race. I'll get around to them eventually. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah. Let's move on to live action short films. These are always fun to watch. Feeling Through, The Letter Room, Present, White Eye, and Two Distant Strangers. Uh, actually, you could watch all these. I know Cinemark right now has a little thing going on where you could watch uh, all the Best Picture nominations as well as the uh, live action shorts. So, oh, you uh, the the animated shorts are included in that too. Oh, it's really? Both it's both shorts categories. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I might catch that. I might as well do that. Yeah, it's like three hours or something, but it, I mean, it's definitely worth it. You get to see these because otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to watch last year's i yeah i know last year i was just scrambling through the internet just to watch them all yeah like <laughs> off weird websites that i'm not proud of going to and uh <laughs> but yeah i i got to watch them but this time around i'll go to the theater to watch these let's move on to ooh, finally some good stuff baby <laughs> we got some we got actor in a supporting role we have Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah, and Paul Racy, Sound of Metal. You have no idea. I literally screamed when his name was brought up. I remember talking about Sound of Metal early on and... I remember saying this guy was the standout and I was hoping he would get nominated when he didn't get nominated for the Golden Globes. I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, he gave a great performance, you know, it's fine. I still love him. When they announced his name, I was so happy for him that oh, his role in that movie is so great. Specifically, the photo we're looking at right now is from uh, his monologue that he gives to uh, Riz Ahmed's character. Slight spoilers, if you want to skip like 15 seconds really quick. Riz Ahmed tells him that he's going to get an operation. And what he tells him is so powerful and he's signing it as well. You could see the emotion already. You don't. You could put it on mute and you can see how heartbroken he was to tell him that he has to leave. I'm just so happy for Paul Racy. Mm -hmm. He might not win, but I'm voting for him. I don't care. I loved him in that movie. Like, Keith Stanfield threw me for a loop because was no one leading in this movie? Was he not the lead actor? I wanted to bring that up. Why are both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield both in supporting roles here? I have no idea. I didn't get that at all. That's weird. This is the first instance I'm seeing of it. A mind-boggling decision for sure. I mean, that's that's up to the studio with how Warner Brothers probably, like, submitted it. But even then, like, who approved that? I think Warner Brothers was actually campaigning for both of them to be in the leading category. Really? Yeah. So I, I don't know what happened on the Academy's end, but I, I would have thought Daniel Kaluuya would have been in the leading category. I mean, he had the supporting role in the film, but like he he the movie was about him. So it I guess that's where they got caught up because, I mean... Movies about him, but he takes a back seat. Movies about this, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. 
Yeah. And again, for me, it's still like I know I said Paul Racy is my pick, but even then, it, it's still a tough choice here, especially when you yeah. have two of your, in my eyes, your two leads from Judas and the Black Messiah. It's going to be tough. And then you throw in Leslie Odom, who gave a great performance in One Night in Miami, and then Sasha Baron Cohen here as well. Again, another great category. Give them all awards. I wish we could. You know what, though? I'm going to, I, I was very heavily on this one for the Golden Globes. You know how much I love Judas and the Black Messiah, but I'm going to have to go with Paul Racy on this one just because I really want him to win. All right, let's move on to documentary feature. We have Collective, Crip Camp. I just watched Crip Camp last night. <gasps> yes. Oh, my. Finally, I could talk to somebody about it. We'll talk about it right now. Uh, the Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Funny enough, My Octopus Teacher, I had no idea it was going to be in the running or it was being campaigned to be nominated, but it showed up on my Netflix feed. And I was like, I want to watch that for sure. I don't know why. It, it looks great. And it's great to see it on here i haven't watched it yet the only one i watched is crip camp what i and i think it, it's gonna go to crip camp so do i i think crip camp's gonna win it's so good it's great so good oh man i i don't even know where to begin with that one but yeah even the synopsis uh no no i i don't want to get into it yeah yeah just watch it jackson okay. just watch it everyone needs to watch it really it's a very important movie to watch. Where's this one? Uh, Netflix. Oh, sweet. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, documentary short subject. I don't know how... Colette? 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 Colette. Look, if I mispronounce anything, I'm going to blame it on uh, my Spanish accent, even though I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> like Alec Baldwin's wife? Do <laughs> <laughs> You heard about that controversy, right? Yes. I, and at times, I think she's more Mexican than I am. <laughs> if she wants to be Mexican, let her. Ay, <laughs> déjala. Uh, we have Colette. <laughs> uh, we like to have fun here. <laughs> uh, here at the cinema show, we like to have fun. A concerto is a conversation. Do not split. Hunger Ward and a love song for Latasha. I haven't heard any of these movies, so I have... Nothing to say about them. Same here. I, I would love to watch them if I could find them, but I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to get around to them, unfortunately. I don't know if it's just because I'm hungry, but Hunger Ward is coming <laughs> <out to> me. <laughs> that's why I actually love, that's why I think streaming services, as much as I wag my fist at them for destroying the theaters, it's also a great place to watch these movies that you would normally never be able to, unless you go to like festivals or anything. But now with streaming services, a lot of these movies are accessible. So hopefully we get to watch them on any of those platforms. Let's move on to international feature film. Is this the first time they changed the title? I think it was. Or was that was last, last year? year foreign film or was last year international? I can't remember. I'm going to look that up real quick. Yeah, but kudos to the name change. I, I like the way it sounds a lot better than foreign International Yeah, film. so do I. Yeah, love it. I like it. that. So we have, oh, here you come with the names, but um, <clears throat> we got Another Round, Better Days, Collective, and The Man Who Sold His Skin, and last here is Cuavidas Aida. Cuavidas Aida. 
Uh, did you notice the notable s- snub here? The Life Ahead. It's not nominated. Oh yeah, Lori, that was the one. That was the one that you had recommended. That I love. Yeah, that's the one. I still love that one. But you know what? I I haven't seen these other ones, especially the one Another Round. I really want to see that one. I've been hearing a lot of good things about that one and The Man Who Sold His Skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I plan on watching these films, hopefully before the the Oscars. But The Life Ahead, I was hearing a lot about it saying that, well, they kind of pulled out the big guns for this one. And uh, of course, since Sophia Loren was tied so heavily to it, they said that that's part of the reason why it it got so much recognition from the foreign press as opposed to the academy. Interesting. So. Yeah, and you, uh, Jackson, I remember you talked about another round when we mm-hmm. talked about the Golden Globes. You could actually watch it right now on Hulu. Oh, sweet. It's on my list, so I can't wait to watch that one. I haven't even watched a trailer for it. I'm just going to go in blind. All I know is that Mad Mickelson is drinking, and I'm already sold. <laughs> Uh, Collective, yes. the, a documentary is uh, nominated here as well. Oh, uh, back to the uh, foreign and inter- the name change. Back to the name change. Uh, Parasite was the first international feature film winner. So they changed it the year before Parasite. Love that for Parasite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to sound. This is the first time they actually combine sound editing and sound mixing. Which I don't know how I feel about that yet. Yeah, I mean, those are two different things. Uh, sound editing was the uh, creation of it, and then sound mixing was actually in how well it's integrated into the film itself. Knowing that, I'm not sure. Apparently, it was supported by the sound community. So, I mean, if they supported it, then I guess it's all right. Hmm. Well, it's not all right with me. But what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> all I do is edit our episode, so that's all I know about sound. But yeah, we have Greyhound here, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. And I am going for Sound of Metal. There's a lot of sound in Greyhound, that's for sure. But I think Sound of Metal is the most deserving here. Yeah, I'm going to go for Sound of Metal here as well. Wait, Greyhound and News of the World, those both have Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, uh, Greyhound mm-hmm. was written by Tom Hanks. Ah. Hmm. All right, Tom Hanks. Two spots little suspicious to me. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Let's uh, move it along. Congrats to Tom so Hanks. So Tom Hanks is like our Sophia Loren of the Golden Globes. <laughs> like, it's Tom Hanks. We have to nominate him for something. Yep. Production design. We have The Father, Mara Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. Mm, this one's tough for me. I-, I think based on what I've seen, I might have to go with Mank. See, yeah, I've heard 100%. that the, the, the production design in The Father was exquisite. Now, I don't know anything about it, but I've heard that it was really well done. Really? Huh. Yeah. Okay, you know what? I don't want to give anything away, but most of it deals with... It's all in a, a flat, like an apartment. So, okay. I'll have y'all watch it and then make a decision about it. Okay. Because the more I think about it, I'm like, okay, you know, I I, I know what they're talking about now. I see where they're going. Uh. But yeah, I'm still going with Mink, just yeah. for uh, just from the the scope of it. I think those two are the front runner. I think Tenet could be the yeah. dark horse. It could come out of nowhere and take it, but uh, I wouldn't count on that. It, Tenet was great though, especially if you watch the behind the scenes stuff. Oh yeah, they blew yeah. up an actual 747 because Nolan wanted to. <laughs> yeah, no one could. Christopher Nolan's got I don't know. He he's got the money for it. 
Let's move on to film editing. We have The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I think it's going to go to trial because lately they've been awarding this award to the movie that has the most editing, and Trial definitely has a lot of editing. It's good, but I think that's my pick for this category. Yeah, I'm not going to make a pick just yet because I need to watch Promising Young Woman and Nomadland. Uh, but Sound of Metal, there's a quite a lot of editing in that one too. Yeah. Yeah, this one, I'm caught in between Trial of Chicago 7 and Nomadland because um, Nomadland had some some pretty good editing as well. Yeah. But Ch- Chicago, Trial of the Chicago 7, though, that, w- that was some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to Cinematography. Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Why haven't I, I... I've only seen like a poster on Redbox of News of the World. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm surprised that it's up for There's a bunch of photography. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's the landscapes. Because I saw it. My mom's the one who really wanted to see it. And that's what it is. It's the landscapes. Oh, you've seen the movie, Lori? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. How was it? It was good. It was good. Yeah, not not my favorite. I understand why it was nominated for cinematography because <laughs> uh, there were some beautiful shots. But yeah, not my favorite. Anyone have a pick just yet? Nomadland. Yeah, I was going to say Nomadland. And the reason I'm saying that is because of those shots. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Talk about some brilliant shots out of that one. And, of course, why wouldn't there be? I mean, she's traveling around. I love the camera work in Judas and the Black Messiah. But, I mean, Nomadland, like Lori just said, oh, my God. Just from the promotional shots and, like, the posters that I've seen from Nomadland, they look beautiful already on their own. So I can only imagine, you know, how it looks in a motion picture. Yeah. Let's move on to visual effects. Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and Tenet. I'm going, I'm actually happy to see Love and Monsters. It's a very cute movie. Another surprise. I did not expect that to show up here at all. Me either, and I'm happy for it. If anyone could catch it, it's a real fun movie. It's real lighthearted. It's got Dylan O'Brien. Yeah, and he, he's really charming in this movie. It's a love story, and there just so happens to be these giant kaiju monsters. It's fun. But I'm going to go with Tenet, actually. Ooh. Because Tenet is visually just beautiful to watch. Granted, I watched it in IMAX during the pandemic. Sue me. But it was great. It was great to watch. So, yeah, visual effects for me, Tenet all the way. I don't know. I haven't seen any of these. Um, I can tell you exactly why each of these are nominated. Midnight Sky is a space movie. Mulan has CGI, of course. One and Only Ivan, Animals, Tenet, whatever Nolan does, and then Love and Monsters. The Monsters, but I think I have to go to Tenet, maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, no, watch watch Tenet. It's, it's fun. I haven't seen Tenet or Love and Monsters, so I'm going to go with Mulan on this one because it's the one that I saw. Yeah. Uh, and I just really did uh, love that movie visually. Lori, did you pay the 30 bucks to watch Mulan? Yes, I did. Mm. Was it worth it? You could watch it for free now, actually. I think you have to wait like a couple months. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- yeah, I think you do have to wait a certain amount of time. But we paid the thirty dollars first night it was available, and it was worth it to me because it was in the middle of the pandemic. The kids were really 
needing something, you yeah. know, uh, to kind of watch. And uh, so, yeah, to me, it was worth it. We made popcorn and we made a big event of it right there at home. So oh, that's, that's cool. why I kind of. I know. And, you know, when I go to the movies, I end up paying about $50 every time I go with my kids anyway. Yeah. So to pay for $30 for an at-home movie and just some snacks at home, that was actually cheaper. Maybe Disney has a point with the $30 premium access. No. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> I'm already paying the, what, $8 a month? Mm-hmm. I'm still going to pay. Why do I talk smack? Uh, let's move on to a category I know nothing about, uh, makeup and hairstyling. We got Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. There it is Ooh, again. This one's tough. This one, like, uh, what was the other one? Uh, costume design? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one's pretty much the same category. Yeah, no Mulan, um, but I think Ma Rainey's got it, if not just for Viola Davis's makeup alone. Mm, okay. I thought that was brilliant, too. I, I said it out of the gate. I was like, oh, my goodness, Viola Davis in this, whoever did her hair, her makeup, her costume. And I assumed that she was wearing a fat suit in mm-hmm. it, but then I can't, found out later that, no, she gained the weight for it. I heard that she gained weight and put on, like, a fat suit. Oh my, whatever it was, it was brilliant. And it it just transformed her to me. Mind you, okay, I'm just going to put it out there once. Hillbilly Elegy. I loved it. And I loved what they did with these characters because they made Amy Adams, who's just a beautiful woman, look so trashy. Yeah, and and Glenn Close doesn't even look like herself. No, she doesn't. And you know, I I was thinking about it right now because they were asking again, what's up with uh, Glenn Close? A lot of people are taking offense to it because they're saying... Oh, the hillbillies and, you know, our culture, they're trying to say that we're all like that. No, no, no. That's absolutely what they're not trying to say. That character was an image of a certain type that they were trying to portray. And I swear to God, I know this person. I've met this person (laughs) in everyday life. And it's part of the reason I love it because I'm like, oh, that's authentic. I have met these. I have met this family. I know them well. (laughs) And so I think that's part of the reason I love it so much. Trashy Amy Adams. I think of The Fighter. She was in that movie as well oh, uh, with yeah. uh, Christian Bell and Mark Wahlberg. So I'm really surprised. I'm, I'm curious to see how she looks this time around as a uh, trashy. Yeah, this one did it even better. Oh, okay. Even better. Because I don't know, even in The Fighter, she's still like so a bar above the rest. Like, yeah, she was like, she was like the local bartender, Bostonian kind of trashy <laughs> she takes a couple of notches down on this one in the best way possible Ooh, i'm excited i love amy adams mm-hmm. she so always I. finds a way to come into the oscar somehow i, I know mm-hmm. she's not nominated for something but she's in a movie that is she's always there good for her good for her all right let's yeah i don't really have a pick on this one maybe emma but i really need to watch that hillbilly elegy movie Let's move on to animated feature film. A little lighthearted here. We got Onward, a Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Over the Moon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Funny story. I was, uh, right now my mom uh, recently uh, moved into a new house. So right now I'm like in the middle of like assembling all the furniture. So I'm there in the living room. And randomly, my little brother says, hey, you want to watch a movie? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And he puts on Shaun the Sheep. I had no idea it was on Netflix or anything. And he just, and I'm there watching it. And it was, it was cute. It's a cute movie. 
Yeah, the first one was super cute. I love that it was nominated and I no one was talking about the second one. The sequel just kind of came out without a single word about it. I was like, did this movie actually come out? But I'm glad that it's nominated here. I'm, I'm going to check it out. I actually saw Over the Moon uh, this week. It's definitely a kid's movie. I didn't know that it was a musical, though. Oh. Yeah, so just a word of warning, I guess. Uh, it's a musical. I actually listened to one of the songs because I would Which one? go over to... Uh, I, I went over to my uh, a friend of mine. This was a couple months ago. We would do like our little drag nights. Uh, we would watch uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. So I'd go over, we watch it, have a good time. And after an episode, they wanted to just listen to a couple of the songs from Over the Moon because they loved it. And it's a, it's a girl and she has like an audience and mm-hmm. she's singing and... Yep, I knew it would be that song. I'm surprised yeah. it's I'm actually surprised it's not nominated for best original song. It's that Beatty. It's Beatty, but it's good. It's a good song. So that's all I've seen from the movie and Soul. I I Soul's going to take it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch Soul's the rest the other two, uh Wolfwalkers and Shaun the Sheep, but I mean Soul. Yeah. Wolfwalkers looks interesting. I can't wait to it watch does. that one. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to ooh, original song. We have Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah. We have Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago 7. Husevic from, oh, this song. <laughs> from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire. <laughs> we have Ionsi from The Life Ahead. And Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Sorry, I'm going to cheat a little bit here, and I'm going to go with EOC just because Lori got that win last time. So mm-hmm. forgive me if I cheat a little, but I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, I, I'm going with that one, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with that one, too. Uh, I listen to all of the new ones again, too, and that one does. I always go with the one that makes me cry the most, if more than one make me cry. But this one, yeah. I haven't heard Husevik yet. Is Will Ferrell singing that one? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen the movie. I've seen the movie. Yeah, it's. I'm not gonna do that to myself. Uh. <laughs> Y'all are braver than the Marines for watching that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, Will Ferrell, I love him, for better or for worse. I love him. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Actor in leading role, we have Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steven Yen for Minari. Okay, so Anthony Hopkins, I was floored by his performance in this movie. You know, he, he's been doing this for a very long time. And you would think, you know, later down his career, he would just kind of like, uh, just kind of coast, maybe just like not put as much effort or, you know, age plays a factor. But... If we had not even known who this man was before this movie, this movie would have put him on the map. That's how floored and surprised I was by Anthony Hopkins. You're frustrated for him. You're frustrated about him. Like, he delivers every type of emotion you could think of, and you give it right back to him. You're mad at him. You're sad for him. You're happy with him. I love him. I the love The oldest Anthony nominee Hopkins. for an acting category. 86, I think. Wow. He's my pick. He's... uh, Even above Chadwick. Yes. No, 100% yes. Because I know we talked about Chadwick Boseman in that movie 
how he kind of uh, Chadwick kind of just uh, blows up so many times and there's nowhere to go. Anthony Hopkins, he talk about range. This man showcases his range yet again. I think more than I've ever seen. And when you watch the movie, you'll know why. See, and I thought we were just going to keep getting performances from him like what he gave us in The Two Popes. Just kind of like, oh, Anthony Hopkins. No, but... no, no. This is nothing like I've ever seen Anthony Hopkins do before. Wow. I, wow. I'm te- No, yeah. And, and you think I'm overhyping it? No. Watch the movie and you'll come out saying Anthony Hopkins, give him all the awards. Wow. Is there any doubt, though, that they're going to give it to Chadwick, though? I think he, they might give it to him. I, I, I think, think they're really, still going to give it to him. Yeah, I, I do think so. But before watching The Father, Riz Ahmed was my pick for sure. Uh, but then The Father, watch it. That's all I have to say. Also, Stephen Yen, congrats to him getting on there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. It took 93 years, but it, we finally have an Asian man uh, nominated for an, a leading role. Good on him. Great on him. I know, mm-hmm. I know. I think for me, it's between Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman was the one who I was leaning towards, but I went with Chadwick Boseman for the Golden Globes because I just couldn't see them not giving it to him. But I am going to admit that I was not 100% sold on his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. But uh, if I wasn't thinking about sentimentality and the fact that he... You know, he's such a great actor that we lost way too soon. Then my two favorites for this in the front running would be Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman just because they're my favorite. But I cannot wait now to see The Father. I need to see The Father. You liked Gary Oldman's performance? I did. I thought it was just more of Gary Oldman. I loved it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I would have rather gotten Delroy Lindo than Gary Oldman. Delroy Lindo was robbed. He oh, put yes. so much work into it. His performance was so good into Five Bloods, and there is no recognition for him anywhere. And that is heartbreaking. I honestly thought he was going to be nominated for supporting role. And then even more surprised to see both uh, actors from Judas and the Black Messiah to be up there. And I was like, well, p- put one of them in the leading and give that spot to Delroy Lindo. He's going to be one of those where... People are going to know him for that role, and they're always going to say he should have been nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Lori, have you seen The Five Bloods yet? I haven't yet. Ooh, watch <gasps> oh. it. Oh, and you're gonna you're gonna come out mad that Delroy Lindo was not nominated. You're gonna be just as furious as I am, if not more so. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, I need to watch it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to actress in a leading role, Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Got Andrew Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. And Frances McDormand for Nomadland. And up until now, I didn't know Vanessa Kirby was the the leading female in Fast 9? Fast, no, no, a Hobson uh, Shaw. Yep, that's her. <laughs> and you can watch Pieces of, of a Woman on Netflix right mm-hmm. now with Shia LaBeouf. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's right. Yep, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm gonna watch Billie Holiday now. I wasn't going to, but uh, now that she's nominated here, I, I'm gonna. And that one's on Hulu, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I have to watch that one too. This one is from Lee Daniels, who did Precious and uh, The Butler a couple years ago. Mm, okay. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm oof, I'm torn a little. I'm torn right now with Viola Davis and Frances McDormand. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly the two I'm torn between. I think Carrie Mulligan really holds her own though. I think she definitely has a power. And I haven't seen Pieces of a Woman yet, but uh, just the subject matter that the movie deals with, uh, it's no wonder that she's nominated. Um, so I can't wait to see that movie. Uh, and then I'm, I guess we'll see what Andre Day's given us because I didn't know that she was going to be a, a, a main stay for the Oscars. I feel like with Frances McDormand and Viola Davis already having Oscars under their belt, I feel like they're going to go with either the other three. I have a strong feeling about that. Yeah, I mean, Frances would be winning her third leading role or, or, or her third Oscar. Viola would be winning her first leading role Oscar. Uh, she won her first one for supporting for The Help, I think, right? I think so. So it would be her first leading role uh, Oscar, which I think is well-deserved. But it would be kind of like a Leo situation where it's like, really, for this movie kind of kind of deal? Um, but I mean, like, she still puts in the work for this one. But it's like, compared to all the other ones, do you know what I mean? Like, compared to all of her other work. She won Best Supporting Actress for Fences. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was that recent. Holy crap. Yeah, she was nominated for The Help, but okay. she didn't win that one. I don't know why I was thinking she was a lead in Fences. <laughs> yeah. Isn't she? That's weird. She's the That's lead what I thought woman, too, so. but uh, maybe she's she's not the, she's not a woman in a leading role. She's just the leading woman for that movie, I guess, is um, their line of logic. I have to say... I have to say, it might have been a smaller role that she was in, in Ma Rainey, but I just think it was just, she made her presence so palpable for the time she was on it, even when she wasn't saying a word, and I think that that just blew me away. So my pick on this, even though I am torn between her and Frances McDormand, my pick on this is Viola Davis. Yeah, not to take away from Viola Davis's performance. She's great. Definitely deserving. Again, I, I don't know who to go with for this. I think I just need to watch the other two movies that are in order for me to really solidify my pick. But I'm between the three that I have seen. I can't, I can't choose right now. Let's move on to directing. We have Thomas Venterberg for Another Round, David Fincher for Bank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Can anybody tell me the boy band group that Thomas Vinterberg is a part of? Look at that hair. <laughs> <laughs> He's a handsome Wasn't young man. Wasn't it 98 degrees? <laughs> yeah, we can go. Th- <laughs> it, it was the one with Nick Lachey, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like Nick Lachey here. Look at him. What a handsome young man. He really is. I was surprised he was nominated. I mean, I haven't seen another round, but like, I thought it was going to go to, that spot was going to go to either Regina King or Aaron Sorkin. I thought they would have nominated one of those two. This one, I'm going to go with Chloe. Oh, yeah. Chloe Zhao is going to win it for sure. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Oh, really? 100% Nomadland. Yeah. I need to watch this movie. I'm so excited. I'm going to watch it in a couple hours. Yes. Oh, once you watch it, Dylan, yeah. You'll get it. Mm-hmm. Mind you, don't sleep on Promising Young Woman. That one too. Promising Young Woman. That was a great film. I think everyone's counting it out just for like what it is, but I don't think anyone should. It's definitely a force to be reckoned with with this with this race. With any yeah. of the categories it's nominated for. Even screenplay or even picture. 
there were so many decisions that could have been made in directing that could have changed the climate of that movie so 100%. much. 100%. So, and, and I think she just handled it beautifully. So that's why I'm like, good, good on my female directors this year, man. Mm-hmm. And and writer. She's a writer on this one, too. Yeah, yeah. and writer. And I think that's important, too. Uh, it's like you said, I haven't watched it, but from what you said, like there's things that could have turned or the way they would have, any direction they would have gone, it could have been the wrong way to go. But it coming from a female, that female perspective, it, it makes sense. I mean, you, you really can't go wrong. It's it's funny like when we see black actors or characters written by something that's not from that community and how misrepresented it can be it shows so i'm I'm very excited to see what emerald fennel does and the premise i i, I don't i'm really vague on the premise i just know it has to deal with sa mm-hmm. it should it should scare people mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah bad people though so that's a good thing because it only should scare people who are already. Yeah, if you're bad. if this movie made you scared, <laughs> then you should probably do some reflection, reevaluate yourself. Exactly. If you're of this <laughs> Time to talk to my lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little scared. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kevin Spacey was definitely scared. Kevin Spacey hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Time for. Creme de la Creme, the prestigious Best Picture Award. And we have The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. No One Night in Miami, and... I'll be honest, I'm happy with what we got. I know right now, I think they they can do up to 10 films. Yeah, which I don't know why they don't. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them deciding like we can do 10, but we don't have to. I think this is, I'm looking at this here and it's a great, it's a great lineup. I'm not mad about it at all. I'm not really mad about snubs here. I think those deserving are on this list. I really do. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I think there's something that makes it a little bit more prestigious about being like, yes, we can have 10, but you know what? This year we don't need it. Uh, Because I think just to fill it, you know, oh my gosh, what kind of a precedence would that be setting? You know, Mm -hmm. I think that the ones that are up here are the ones that could handle going head to head with each other. I think these are the ones that were the hard decisions. Uh, One Night in Miami, I thought it was a great film. But again, I thought it was going to be brushed off. I didn't think it was going to make it. And uh, Ma Rainey was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, but I do have to agree on Dylan on that. Dylan, I remember when he, I remember when Dylan was talking about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and she had he had made a comment about uh, the fact that he would love to see it on stage. Mm-hmm. And I got the same feeling when I was watching it as a movie. I was like, "Ooh, I would love to see this on stage." And if at any time you're thinking that, then it makes you have to stop and think about whether or not. Whether or not it translated perfectly onto film. And those two share the same criticism. I I said this in an earlier episode. They both suffer from the same problem of feeling too much like a play to where I feel like it's a hindrance. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the performances are what stand out more than Mm -hmm. the movie itself. And I think that shows in the categories. Uh, All together. Yeah, I think 
yeah, I'm I'm not upset that those two weren't nominated. I'm I'm I agree with y'all. Like I think it's good that they cut it off instead of just throwing those two in there just cause. This is a hard year. I would love for Judas to win. I'm literally halfway through this list here. I've only watched four of these, and I'm still torn on who I want. The only one I haven't seen yet is The Father. For right now, I would love for Judas to win, but I know it's going to go to Nomadland. It's been winning every single Best Picture. Wow. Yeah, it's a forced, It's the movie to beat this year. I would be glad if any one of these won. Uh, maybe not Mink. I didn't enjoy Mink that much. Yeah, my pick is Judas, but I think the Academy is going to go with Nomad here. Dang, this one's tough. I don't even know what Nomad Land's about. Don't tell me though. Oh, don't tell me. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's me. No. <laughs> it's me in 20 years. <laughs> I'll make note of that. <laughs> but out of the four I've watched. Please do. <laughs> out of the four I've watched. Because um, I've watched Minari, Sound of Metal, Judas and the Black Messiah, and The Father. Ooh, man. That's a tough one. Just from those four? Whew. Yeah, I can't. I can't pick right now. Especially having not watched Nomadland or Trial. Mm-hmm. Mm. But congrats to all the nominations here. Really. Yes. You know what I feel like, Dylan? It would be like the year that we watched um, Three Billboards. Imagine if you were sitting here trying to determine it, but you hadn't seen Three Billboards yet. Ooh, oh. Mm-hmm. You think I'm going to love it that much? I think you're going to love it. Francis McDormand. I love you, girl. I love you. They could go with the easy choice here and go with Trial, though. I think Trial is, like, the most Oscar pick out of all of them. It could pull a spotlight and come out of nowhere. I like that wordplay. It could pull the spotlight. Oh, I didn't even Ah. think about that. Holy crap, I'm a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know what I'm editing out. (laughs) (laughs) That entire segment. Uh, No. (laughs) Well, congrats to all the nominations again. And by the time this episode comes out, I should have the ballot up for these nominations. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what everyone else picks. And may the best uh, film win. May the best film win. May the best film win. Now, our last segment of the episode, we are continuing March of the Monsters. That's right. We have Godzilla vs. Kong coming out pretty soon. And we have been reviewing every King Kong origin film. We started with the original 1933 one. We went along and went down the 70s route. That was fun. And now we're here in the year of 2005 with Peter Jackson's interpretation here. And Peter Jackson's expansive remake of the 1933 classic follows director Carl Denham, played by Jack Black, and his crew on a journey from New York City to the ominous Skull Island to film a new movie. Accompanying him are playwright Jack Driscoll, played by Adrian Brody, and actress Anne Darrow, played by Naomi Watts, who is whisked away by the monstrous ape Kong. After they reach the island, the crew encounters dinosaurs and other creatures as they race to rescue Anne, while the actress forms a bond with her simian captor. Now, fun fact, Universal Studios, and I think on the next episode when we talk about Skull Island, I'm going to get into the history of the film rights of King Kong because they're very complicated. 
I did some research and it's very, it's fun to talk about. But Universal Studios had approached Peter Jackson back in the mid-90s before he was on his way to Lord of the Rings to make King Kong. And he said, thank you, but no thank you. I'm off to make Lord of the Rings. And Universal Studios said, we'll wait. Keep in mind, they had no idea what Lord of the Rings was going to be and how big it was going to be critically, financially. You know the history of that. But yeah, and now we're here. I think this came out two years after Return of the King. His first movie after Return of the King. Yes, and obviously I'm pretty sure, like many others, Peter Jackson loved the original King Kong movie, and it's very apparent in this movie. Unlike the 70s, he stuck very close. It's it's really a remake. It's a mm-hmm. remake through and through. Actually, for better or for worse, I love Peter Jackson. I love Lord of the Rings. My general impression of the 2005 King Kong, it's it's King Kong with Lord of the Rings uh, scope. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a little too big than it needed to be exactly that's exactly how i feel and you know what funny story two funny stories so i had watched this in the theater i watched this when i was just a wee lad i'm not irish by the way (laughs) you are jewish though oh (laughs) only sometimes um (laughs) uh these are just jokes people get a grip (laughs) so (laughs) Yeah, I, I had watched this in the theater, and me and my brothers, we thought the sound, the sound guy was off that day because I remember this movie being so loud. My goodness, I literally were, I was, I still remember this back in 2005, looking at the speakers, thinking they were about to burst. You can hear the bass almost giving out. And I don't know if that was intentional or they had no way around that. But man, I just remember this movie in terms of theatrical experiences go, it was loud. It was overwhelmingly loud and very, very long. So just like Zack Snyder got to make his full version of Justice League, I found a version, an extended version of this movie. So you know how Peter Jackson is with his director's cuts with Lord of the Rings. And I I would say Lord of the Rings, it's... uh, you know, it's excusable. I don't mind it. But with King Kong, he tacked on, I think, 20 minutes more than the original runtime, which was 188 minutes. Which is still three hours. Over three hours. Yeah. So the extended version is three and a half hours. So another very quick story here. I was, in the past couple of days, I have been in between... The Justice League, the Snyder Cut, King Kong, and The Father, I believe. And I had to just stop watching the Snyder Cut halfway through, go watch The Father, come back to the Snyder Cut, and then go into King Kong. Had to stop that for the night, because I'm not going to watch three hours in the (laughs) middle of the night. Stop that. The next night, watch the rest of the movie. Whew. That's a lot of content there. Yeah, um, it is. Where do we begin with this movie? The The whole thing is like, with this one, it, you're mainly just talking about the first one again. I mean, there are some big differences between the two, but overall, this is largely the 1933 film with just an extra hour and 40 minutes tacked onto that one. And I can clearly see where he pulled all that extra film from. You can expand and expand and expand 
for as long as you want. And I mean, yeah, it, like you said, for better or for worse, it's what we got. <laughs> uh, I have to say the word that I was so painfully reaching for throughout the whole film when I rewatched it again, and even when I watched it the first time, was restraint. Nobody told him that he needed to exercise some restraint with this movie. I feel like he is just coming off of Return of the King and he was like, you know what? This was this was his guilty pleasure. And they just let him have complete creative control exactly the way he wanted to do it here. And you can tell. Would you tell him no after he swept the Oscars? Would you? No, who would tell him no? But like someone should have. No, I, I didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like George Lucas in his prequels. They they got there were too many yes men around him, around the directors. Granted, I think Anne's character here is I mean, that's kind of a given too. It's been almost what, seventy years since the first original King Kong movie, so obviously characters are gonna be updated and treated a lot better. I feel like Anne's character here improved immensely from the first one but then like jack the love interest here i feel like peter jackson kind of split the leading man into like different parts there was like a leading actor in the movie um and then you have the right hand man of the captain which originally was jack in the original movie and then you have the writer of this movie which I, I believe is a new interpretation of the character, which I kind of feel like was Peter Jackson kind of like, oh yeah, it's the writer who gets the girl this time. I don't know. I think it was, I think that was Peter Jackson trying to say, hey, it's my <laughs> it's my time to shine, you know? Because I I know Peter Jackson's a big old nerd, just like me, and he, it's his big time. Like it's you know he couldn't be Kong, so you might as well <laughs> be the writer to get the girl. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I definitely appreciated uh, Naomi Watts's uh, Anne. I appreciated her a lot more than some of the other ones. Of course, Faye Ray, uh, like I told y'all before, the original story, she was supposed to be in this film, the actress from the original, but she had a meeting with uh, Naomi Watts. And at the very end of the meeting, she very politely shook her hand and said, uh, I don't think I want to be in this film. I was already in The King Kong. What was she going to play? Was she just going to do a cameo? Because Peter Jackson did a lot of like those references. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a car ride and it says, oh, what actresses do we have left? And the last one is, oh, what about Faye? And I think uh, Tom Hanks's son uh, says, oh, she's doing uh, some movie with Cooper. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're kind of, we're getting meta. It's a little, little, okay, I see what you're yeah. doing. It's a little meta. Okay, that's cool. By the way, so many characters in this movie, aside from Kong and all the other people, I think mm -hmm. we had a good cast at the beginning already with the original movie. But here, you throw in the whole, the ship crew, and there's like a little uh, relationship between little Jimmy, the one that just wants to fight and be a man, and then the right-hand man say, no, Jimmy, you got to go back. You don't need a gun. You know, if I say run, you run. Yeah, it was a lot. And then Andy Serkis, not only is he doing motion capture for King Kong, but he has to be in this movie and play the chef as well. Mm -hmm. The best example here is uh, the infamous fight between Kong and the T-Rex in the original. Here, yes. it's that same sequence, but like three times as long and with three times the T-Rexes. Yeah. It, it just goes on and on. It's like, and you know what's funny? Watching this again I was still so amazed about the 30s stop motion animation and jujitsu King Kong more than I was here 
uh, in this movie. And the spectacle's grand. It's big. It looks great. Don't get me wrong. Especially that last scene where he's on top of the Empire State Building. It's beautiful. It's beautifully shot. Peter Jackson bit off way more than we could chew. Yeah. I, I wrote down, the question shouldn't have been, can we, but should we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with that. And do you know, out of all of them, my son, went and, uh, he always talks about this movie. And he talks about how um, all the T-Rexes came out. And he is always telling me that out of all, before I showed him the 1970s version, this one was his least favorite. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it, it, it could have been so much better if it just had been bogged down a little bit yeah you think about the carnivore bronchosaurus that was in the original mm-hmm. and they're just being chased by that bronchosaurus just the one and then here we got a stampede of 30 plus a little bit of velociraptors in there too they, they're doing the most in every single scene and they did not have to i will say though king kong is probably more sympathetic and shows a lot more emotion here than any of the other movies yeah that that that's my other big note for this movie is that like i didn't get any sense of love or anything from the first one and i feel like peter jackson feels the same way uh because he dials that up to 11 in this movie every relationship is just again it's the most you get these shots where they just cut back between kong and uh, Naomi Watts, uh, and they're just looking at each other, and you can see everything that they're saying within their eyes, but, like, I don't know if I needed all that, you know? I liked it. I mean, it, it was nothing like Jessica Lang's relationship with that other Kong, and nothing like that. Well, I mean, I don't want to get into that again. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get into that, Jackson. I'm actually giving you this opportunity. Are you going to stand by you saying the 70s King Kong is a masterpiece? It's my favorite one out of the four. I've seen all four of these Kong movies that we're going to review, and it's my favorite. He didn't say no. All right. He didn't say no. Oh, do you know, uh, I rem- I was reminded the other day uh, because I saw Tom Hanks and, of all people, do this little comedy sketch he had done where he was like, a lot of people don't know I have a daughter, and she's very involved with the sexy baby competitions. And that's what it reminded me of, talking about the 19- 1970s. King Kong, it's like that was her character. She was that that was like the birth of the sexy baby. Sexy baby. Mm-hmm. I'm a sexy but Madonna. Sexy, ooh, ooh, sexy baby, you know? And it was kind of like that role that she was filling, but uh yeah, I mean of course it was the seventies and we, come on, we still have a fascination with it. If we didn't, then you know, the Jean Benet Ramsey case wouldn't have been as big as it was, and you know, we still wouldn't have all of these other things. This furthers my theory to the village and the relationship they have with Kong and the whole sacrifice thing we got going here. We actually get a little bit more evidence as to what happens to the other members. We see uh, just a pile of bones and the necklace they put on her this time. They didn't drug her like Jessica Lange. So good on her. There's some, Oh, wait, whoa, whoa. another like quick sidebar, but still talking about the movie. You would think the natives would like be toned down or treated with more respect in this movie compared to They're the thirties. They're even 30s? worse than they are in the thirties. Oh my goodness! I was floored. I didn't. I didn't realize how like how horrific they were portrayed as. Yeah, <laughs> the way that they, whenever they finally got to the city, and then how they had them, it's like okay, they decided to go full blackface here. Oh yeah, 
and they went they went blackface on top of that too. So like not only I didn't even <laughs> catch that. Holy yes, crap. that was huge. I didn't either because okay, so when they're on the actual island, I don't know if they put more mud on them or if that was I don't know what was going on in that movie. They the way they were treated or portrayed on the village was just like shocking to me. Just because it's been seventy years since the first one, mm-hmm. but then we get to the the end where they kind of portrayed the them the actors are playing the villagers now which i guess is a kind of like a nod to the original 30s because they look similar to the 30s i was like wow look they actually toned it down but then it was my girlfriend's sister she was watching it with us and she was like oh they'd be canceled for this i'm like haha yeah because the way they're stereotyped right she's like no they're in blackface and i'm like no i'm like oh yes they are i'm gonna have to go back and look at that oh my god man yes they are but you know what? Peter Jackson committed. This movie took place in the 1930s, and this would have happened in the 1930s in theater. That's I'm just I mean, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying he stuck true to the time. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm not supporting it at all. And they also have the uh, potato peeling Asian uh, man. Yeah, they still have him. They still have that character. And he, oh, by the way, he actually peeled potatoes. It's not a derogatory thing, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, imagine you potato peeling mother. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I know. Well, now I feel like Peter Jackson now. Um, <laughs> no, wipe I was, off all this racism off of me. I was Will Smith's genie Aladdin, so I had the blue over the black. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what that was. It's all about layers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> really quick, I don't know if I mentioned this in our original uh, review of the King Kong movie, but the Peter Jackson, you know, he loves his cameos. He's actually in the cockpit kill, uh, shooting King Kong. Wow. So he's the one giving its last uh, couple of shots. But to me, I was kind of like, eh, whatever, because in the original, I think I did mention this. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna repeat myself here. The original two directors, Mirren C. Cooper and uh, Shootsack, they were actually in the plane shooting at the thing too because they said when they were shooting that scene back in the 30s, they said, "Well, if we created this thing, we might as well kill it ourselves." So last minute, they said, "We're gonna get on the plane," and Cooper is the one driving it, and in the co-pilot seat with the gun is Shootsack, and he actually it's. Very poetic that the director is the one that created King Kong from scratch is the one that killed it at the end. Yeah, that's great. No, you didn't mention that. I don't think you mentioned that. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it, it was, uh, I don't know, Miran C. Wow, C. Cooper, I admired him more and more the more I uh, researched him. That's but then here awesome. comes Peter Jackson, like, oh, I got to make my cameo. I'm the director here and I'm going to shoot the thing. It's like, ah, get out of here. <laughs> Real quick nitpick, though. I'm not a fan of King Kong's uh, design here. I, I don't like that they went with the silver back gorilla. I like I like my King Kong to be on its hind legs, straight back, a little brown, you know. <laughs> Wait, <hold on>. <laughs> <laughs> uh I don't I don't mind his design. I like this guy. He's a, he's a you like he's this an version ape. of Kong? Yeah, this this guy's an ape. He's a gorilla. My favorite has to be uh, Skull Island, the one we're about to watch. But oh, the one I'm yeah. seeing from the previews in Godzilla vs. Kong, that looks like the definitive Kong for me. Yeah, Kong Skull Island is great. 
Lori, do you do you like Silverback? No, I don't. I don't like the way they had to make him a little bit more animally. Like I, yeah. I kind of like the human traits. Yeah, yeah. Although I've dated both of those guys, like the the Silverback <laughs> type and the upright type. So pros and cons. <laughs> you know, when I heard Jack Black was going to be in this movie, I was kind of disappointed. He didn't play King Kong himself. <laughs> that would that would have been a movie. I didn't realize that Jack Black would have kind of took me out of the movie as much as he did. Because when I watched this movie so long ago, when it first came out, Jack Black didn't really uh, stand out to me. But this time watching it, all those mannerisms that Jack Black does, I love, by the way. He, he's funny. I love him. But in this movie, it kind of, eh, I don't know. I don't know why they went with him. For this certain role. Yeah, neither do I. I he was hot back th- I mean, he was writing his... This was his heyday. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, 2003 through 2008 was like bliss for Jack Black. You're talking about School of Rock, Tenacious D, uh, King Kong, Kung Fu Panda, which came out in 2008. Yeah. Um, Nacho Libre, like... Mm-hmm. Oh, that guy's a national treasure. I love him. But for this movie, I don't know. It, it, it didn't work for me this time around. There was something a little off with him, and I think you you said it best. It was his mannerisms. The, those, I mean, you're getting what you're getting with Jack Black. You know, a cool sidebar about Jack Black, though. I have a friend who worked with him uh, on one scene in the Joaquin Phoenix pick. Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. And That's they, right. Yeah, my friend Sergio, uh, there, he's here from South Texas. Big shout out to Sergio Martinez. Woo! Uh, but... Uh, he was telling me, you know, there's actors that you'll meet and some of them are much more gracious than others. And they say, he said that Jack Black is one of the most gracious actors. He talks to all of the extras, uh, whenever he's starting his dialogue, you know, he's one of the bigger names. So whenever they're starting it and he talks to an extra, the extra has to respond to him back, but it's not written. And I think production probably finds it extremely irritating because then they have to get all of these extras who weren't hired to say any lines to sign off in case they use them, in case they use any lines. But they say that the reason that he does that is one, to get warmed up and two, to try and give them some chances to get a line in the movie. Yeah, Jack Black seems like the best just the best human being in general to work yeah. with to hang out yeah, with and he still is man he's just as wild and rambunctious as he was back in the early 2000s oh yeah all the best all the love for jack black hey i kid on his body weight but like he's more confident in his own skin than i am so i'm over here cracking jokes but at the end of the day he has a last laugh i love he's him he's winning extremely talented i'm not taking anything away from him but hey, he got some work in, and I'm sure you had a pretty good paycheck after that. Really quick question to Jackson, because we had talked about, I know I made a statement about the believability that the two leads have. N- now that we've watched the three origin movies, which couple do you like more out of the three? That is a tough question. Because <laughs> the first movie, there's not much there. The second movie, there's everything with that one. And then, uh, you know, for as much as I like the the 76 one, I still think trying to fit romance into everything. I don't don't know. I I just don't know why love and romance is needed in a movie like this. I think if you were to just cut all of the themes of love and romance and everything and just tell the story about a big old monkey that they find 
and you just focus more on that, I think that would be better. I don't particularly like any relationship in any of the Kong movies, to be honest with you. Wait, but that's the whole point of the movies, Jackson. I don't. I the, for me, the point of the movies is the is the big old monkey man, and that's what I'm seeing the movie for. But what drives them is love. It's love. Is it? They they can tell me that, but that's not what I'm getting. I think it it comes across more in this movie than the other ones. I'll give it that. I mean, yeah, it's dialed up to eleven here. Like I said, I guess by default I'd have to go with this one. But I mean, I still don't like it. I like I said, I think if you just cut love out of the equation for any of these Kong movies, um, I think it would be a better product. I don't know. For me, I think uh, the whole Jack and Anne relationship didn't work for me. I I, I just think, I don't know. I, I think the circumstances around it, and I feel like it was Peter Jackson kind of projecting, like, "Hey, why does why doesn't the, you know, the the playwright get the girl for once?" I think that's what he was trying to do with that one. That's a little projection. That's all I'm saying, Peter Jackson. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. And then also, this was kind of like an appetizer for what was to come in the Hobbit. Yes, I was like, "Ooh, the Hobbit! This is what this is what we're going to be getting." So. He was trying to warn us, and that whole whole fiasco. We could have got a Guillermo del Toro Hobbit movie. Ah, I still recommend this movie. Honestly, it, it's it's still fun. You know, if you are if you're into long monster movies, watch it. There's some good stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. It still holds up. The visuals still hold up for it's especially for 2005 with the stuff that was coming out around then. This mm-hmm. still holds up. This still looks great. I will give this that. I'd have to say that out of the three, uh, I'm gonna have to go to my original King Kong with Fay Ray. I have to agree with her. Uh, that was the King Kong. I think that. You know, the remake, like I said, I think it was missing some of the restraint, although I do agree that I think uh, it did capture a little bit of more of the heart between King Kong uh, and Anne. And uh, but the my favorite is still if I'm going to watch a King Kong movie, I'm going to watch the Faye Ray version out of these three. No, yeah. Out of the three origin movies, definitely the original. Mm hmm. For me, it's 76. No surprise there. But if I were to recommend someone watch a King Kong movie that they've never seen before, I would have them watch the 33 one. Because just from what y'all have been saying and the general consensus, no one is as jazzed about 76 like I am. So I I understand that. Uh, That one's my favorite. But if anyone has to watch it, I agree with y'all. It's going to be 1933s. It gets in, gets out, and you'll learn exactly all you need to know about King Kong. And you don't have to sit through three and a half hours of this. The softcore porn version of King Kong is the 1970 version. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you're feeling some type of way, hey, you put that VHS in and you have the time of your life. Just make sure the kids aren't there, baby. Just mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you get a babysitter. How about that? Uh, <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. <laughs> At the cinema show, I want to thank my panel, Jackson. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jackson underscore DML. And Lori. Lovely Lori. Yes, hello. Where can we find you? I'm a promising young woman that you can find on Twitter, Lori underscore Guajardo. And you can follow us at Cinema Show Live at all our social media platforms. Don't forget to let us know what you think about all the King Kong movies, all of them, even the ones we didn't talk about. And you can follow me 
at my personal Twitter at DylanMM5. That's right, D-Y-L-A-N-M-M-5. This is The Cinema Show. Remember, all films are subjective and it's all about perspective. Have a great day and a better tomorrow. Thank you.